This afternoon, we'll be taking our instruction from Lord's Day 4 of the Heidelberg Catechism, and in preparation, we'll read a portion from Paul's letter to the Romans. We'll read this afternoon uh, from Romans 5, and we'll read verses 12 through 21. Romans 5, 12 through 21. Romans 5 and 12, this is the word of the living and the almighty God. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass, For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift flowing from many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous." Now the law came in, came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This afternoon we take our instruction from the Heidelberg Catechism. We're looking, we'll be looking particularly at Lord's Day 4. You can find that on page 520. Lord's Day 4, page 520 of your book of praise. But does not God do man an injustice by requiring in his law what man cannot do? No, for God so created man that he was able to do it. But man, at the instigation of the devil, in deliberate disobedience, robbed himself and all his descendants of these gifts. Will God allow such disobedience and apostasy to go unpunished? Certainly not. He is terribly angry with our original sin as well as our actual sins. Therefore, he will punish them by a just judgment, both now and eternally, as he has declared, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. But is God not also merciful? God is indeed merciful, but he is also just. His justice requires that sin committed against the Most High Majesty of God also be punished with the most severe, that is, with everlasting punishment of body and soul. This is the confession of the church of all times and all places. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, you will note if you take a look at the bulletin that the title for this afternoon's sermon is How Great Is Our God? And I chose to put a question mark at the end of that title, though I contemplated using an exclamation mark instead. 
Now, if I'd used an exclamation mark, that would have turned this afternoon's title into a declarative statement. It would have made it an emphatic statement about the greatness and the majesty of our God. And that would certainly have been entirely appropriate. After all, we know that there is no one greater. There is no one more majestic than the God whom we serve. But ultimately, I decided to go with the question mark. The reason for that is that at its heart, this is a Lord's Day that's concerned with the question of God's greatness. Now, I realize that it might not seem like that at first glance, and that's because this Lord's Day has been placed within a section of the Catechism that that deals with our sin and deals with our misery. And these question and answers certainly seem to be focused on the issue of our nature, and they certainly seem to be related to the question of our capacity for righteousness. But if we were to dig a little deeper, we'll see that in reality, what we're really wrestling with here is an assessment of who God is and of how His character determines the way that He interacts with us as sinners. This is in reality then a Lord's Day with which wrestles with the question, how great is our God? Consider question and answer nine, for instance. Here the catechism asks whether it is unfair of God to require that, that men would attain to a standard of holiness that it is impossible for them to meet. Now, how is it that this question and answer is concerned with the greatness of God? Well, it is insofar as the central issue here is the question of how great is the goodness of God? How great is the goodness of God? Now, how is that the case? Well, if we look closely, we'll see that what is at stake here is the question of of whether or not God's workmanship was flawed. Specifically, was there some element of weakness or insufficiency or limitation involved in God's creation of man? You see, if there was, if in fact when God made man, that there was some insufficiency or, or some deficiency in God's creative handiwork, then men could justly claim that this whole miserable state of affairs, that is to say, all of the the wrongness that exists in this world, all the wrongness that exists in our hearts, all of the wrongness that exists in the world, that that they have this whole miserable state of affairs is actually somehow God's fault. And in those circumstances, it would be entirely unreasonable for God to expect men to live up to the standards of His holiness. It would be entirely unreasonable for God to ask men to attain to the holy standards of His law. In such circumstances, it would actually be completely unreasonable for God to have ever expected that that men would be holy or that men would have remained in a holy estate. And so the real issue here is this. Just how great is the goodness of God? Is He a truly good God, 
Is he a truly good God who showed his goodness by by generously providing man with, with absolutely everything that he needed in order to be holy and in order to remain in holiness? And the catechism answers that question by insisting that God is indeed perfectly good. And it does so by declaring that that there was no deficiency, there was no limitation, there, there was no weakness or failure of God's generosity when He created man, when He brought men and women into existence. Indeed, far from it, God created man in such a way that He was able to attain to the holiness that, that God had demanded of Him. And that's because God is good. And therefore, the things that he makes, they must also necessarily be good as well. There is no weakness. There's no deficiency. There's no limitation. There's no insufficiency in the character of God. And so that means the things that he makes, they must by their very nature also be good. God is perfectly good. He's only capable of making perfectly good things. And We know from Scripture that this was the case when it came to the creation of man. Because we know that when God reflected on everything that he had made, that he sat back from his creation and he said that it wasn't just good but that it was very good, that it was perfect. But what we also know is that that we weren't just created by God, we were also made in the image of God. And having been made in the image of God means that we were made in such a way that, that we were capable of reflecting the goodness of our Creator in this world. We were made in such a way that we could that we could image Him, that we could reflect His divine character and perfections. We weren't just made in the image of God. We were placed in the garden. We were placed in the most beautiful location in the whole of God's creation. And we were given work. And we were given companionship. And we were given provision for all of our physical needs. But most importantly of all, We were given the gifts of righteousness and wisdom. Now, in being given the gift of righteousness, that means that when God created us, when He made us, He made us perfectly good. He made us free from any stain of evil. There was no sin, no wickedness, no rebellion in our hearts when He made us. We were created and brought forth in righteousness. So far as wisdom is concerned, we'll borrow this afternoon from the definition of wisdom that's provided by J.I. Packer in his book, Knowing God. There, Packer says this of wisdom. He says, wisdom is the ability to be able to identify what is good and to pursue it. It's the ability to identify what is good and to pursue it, to know what is right and to know how we are to lay hold of what is right. And we were given the gifts of righteousness. We were given the gifts of wisdom. And the point here is that man was generously provided with absolutely everything that he needed in order to be holy 
and he was given every reason to continue in holiness. And therefore, the catechism rightly confesses that there was no deficiency. There was no limitation. There was no flaw in the workmanship of God. And so, how good, how great is the goodness of God? Well, it is very great indeed. For in creating man, God shows himself to be the overflowing fountain of all good. Now, the next question that we face as we move on to question and answer 10 is the question, how great is God's wrath against sin? How great is God's wrath against sin? Just how upset is God by the fact that we have not remained in the holiest state in which he placed us? To what extent has he been angered? And to what extent has he been angered at a personal level by our sin? And the reason that this is an important question is because if God is just mildly annoyed, if God has just been irritated, if God is just a little bit peeved, so to speak, then maybe, maybe we could all just take a breath here. Maybe we could just acknowledge to God that we've colored outside the lines a little bit. Maybe we could make a a bit of a perfunctory apology to him. And having done so, maybe we could trust that that God will be mollified by our, our sincere expressions of sorrow and regret. What the catechism makes clear, however, is that God's wrath is not something to be taken lightly. God, says the catechism, isn't just mildly annoyed. It's not an issue of God just being a little bit perturbed by our sin. No, the catechism makes it clear that God is ferociously angry. He is ferociously angry about sin and our rebellion. And why is it that God has become so enraged? What is it that has, has caused him to become so ferociously angry against our sin? Well, it's because, in addition to being a perfectly good God, he is also a perfectly holy and a perfectly jealous God. And the intensity of his anger against sin is a consequence, it's a direct consequence of those perfections. In other words, God would not be, indeed he could not be, a perfectly holy God if it was not also the case that he did not hate. And if he did not hate with a righteous fury anything that is not as holy as he is. And he could not be a perfectly jealous God if the unfaithfulness of men did not arouse his righteous indignation. Quite simply, his very nature as God requires that he be ferociously angry as a consequence of sin, because to do anything less would be to deny himself. To respond in any other way would be to deny his own divine perfections. And so we have to contend with the reality that the anger of an almighty God burns ferociously against us, and it burns intensely 
against our sin and rebellion. But burning against us and proceeding against us are two different things. And that's the question that is at hand in question and answer 11. Because here the catechism asks whether or not God will really act on his anger. Will God, in fact, demand justice and satisfaction for the wrong that has been done to him as a holy God? And so the question that we face here is this, how great is the justice of God? How great is the justice of God? And the issue here is whether or not there is some way that that God might be persuaded to hold back his anger. Is there some way in which we could perhaps negotiate with God and ask him to restrain his wrath? In other words, if we can't blame him for our circumstances, and if we can't deny that he's been angered by our rebellion, is it possible that perhaps he he could be persuaded to, to just forgive and to forget, so to speak? And could he possibly be persuaded if we were to prevail upon his merciful character? Is there some way that we could convince God that because He's merciful, maybe He shouldn't punish us? It's the kind of question that if you are parents with teenagers that you might have faced once in a while, perhaps over the course of your life as a parent, you've caught your teenager red-handed, caught them red-handed, just breaking the rules of the house. And in that moment, teenagers have a tendency to look at you and they they say things like this, I I can see that you've caught me red-handed in my sin, and I can see that my behavior has aroused your ire, but is there any chance that you might be persuaded to chalk this one up to youthful indiscretion and maybe just let it go? Could you possibly, mom and dad, could you possibly, remembering how much you love me as your child, could you possibly be persuaded to conclude that I I know that I've done wrong and that I feel very sorry about it and, and I'm sorry that I've disappointed you and I've been punished enough by the guilt that I've already felt? That's how teenagers tend to talk to their parents and it's how we have an inclination to talk to God. Is there some way that we could ask you not to proceed in wrath against us? Well, here the catechism teaches us that though God does indeed love us and he loves us very dearly, and though he is most certainly a merciful and a loving God, there is no possibility of him leaving sin unpunished. And again, it's a consequence of his divine character. It's a consequence of his divine perfections. Because God isn't just perfectly good. And he's not just perfectly holy and perfectly uh, just. He is also perfectly righteous. And he would cease to be perfectly righteous. He would cease in an instant to be perfectly righteous if he were to give us a free pass on our sins. Quite simply, as the Catechism says, God's justice requires, it requires in an absolute way that sin be punished. 
There is no wiggle room here of any kind. But that leads us to the final question that we have before us this afternoon. If God is so good that we cannot blame Him for our sin, and if God has been ferociously angered by our rebellion, and if there is no chance of us escaping without punishment, then how great can His mercy actually be? How great is the mercy of God? Because after all, at the moment, it doesn't sound very great, does it? We've, we've found ourselves in a bit of a predicament. We've got a good God, a good God who's very angry at our sin and who is determined to punish it. And the Catechism speaks here about not just any punishment, but an eternal punishment. God is determined to punish sin and to punish that sin to the uttermost. And so at the moment, we might be wondering, well, where exactly is the mercy of God? So how great is the mercy of God? Is this a mercy of any real substance? Is it a mercy of any real significance? Is this a mercy that, that can actually be relied upon to give us any kind of meaningful hope in the face of God's wrath and our culpability? How great really is the mercy of God? Well, the answer to that question is that His mercy is precisely as great as He is. And how do we know that? Because He's demonstrated that mercy to us personally. We know that because He was personally determined to do something about our lost and our fallen condition. The gospel truth is that God looked into the darkness of our sin. He looked right into that fetid, stinking, deep darkness of our sin. And as He looked into the darkness of sin, He saw us. He saw us in our lost and fallen condition. He saw us mired in the, in the misery into which we had cast ourselves. And in His mercy, He was moved to compassion. In His mercy, He loved us. And in His sovereign good pleasure, He determined that He would bring about the salvation of sinners. And He made that clear when personally, when personally, He made the decision to lay aside His heavenly glory, to set aside all of the honor and all of the worship and all of the praise that was rightly due to Him and to come down into this world and to take upon Himself our human flesh and to dwell amongst us. He made that clear when personally He lived a life of perfect obedience to His very own law. He made that clear when personally He suffered in our place on the cross. The cross where He bore the outpouring of God's wrath against the sins of the world. He made that clear when He personally endured the punishment that should have been poured out on you, the punishment that should have been poured out on me. So how great then is the mercy of our God. 
Well, it is precisely as great as He is. Because He is the one who came to rescue us from our sins when He sent His only beloved Son to come into the world and to effect the reconciliation of sinners with God by atoning for their sins on the cross of Calvary. And do we understand, brothers and sisters, as we contemplate the, the greatness of God this afternoon, do we understand that it is only at the cross, it is at the cross that the, the true greatness of God is set before our eyes and before our hearts. It is at the cross that the true greatness of God is manifest in the world. And that's because it is at the cross that the goodness, the wrath, the justice, and the mercy of God all intersect with one another. Think about this for a moment, loved ones. How great is God's justice? Well, it is so great that He couldn't leave sin unpunished, and so He had to send His Son. Because His Son was the only one capable of meeting the standards of God's righteousness. And how great is God's wrath? Well, it is so great that He had to send His Son. Because only His Son, only His Son could endure that outpouring of that ferocious anger of, of an almighty God. And how great is God's mercy? Well, it's so great that He was willing to send His Son because His Son is the fullest expression of God's love for sinners. Because His Son is the fullest expression of God's willingness to be reconciled with sinners and to be at peace with them. And how great, how great is the goodness of God? Well, it's so great that He had to send His Son because in His Son, He has made a perfectly sufficient, He has made a perfectly generous way of salvation for sinners. And loved ones, this is the good news. This is the good news of the gospel that goes out to you this afternoon. It is the good news of the gospel that goes out to the very ends of the earth. God made us good and He made us in His image. And He called us to live lives of holiness and service to Him. And we, in our own free will and choice, we decided to seek after the desires of our own hearts rather than the desires of His. And our decision to rebel against Him, it has been an affront to His holiness. And our decision has aroused His righteous indignation. And His wrath cannot be ignored. His wrath cannot be deterred nor can His judgment be avoided. For He is in His very nature a holy and a righteous God, and He requires that sin be punished to the uttermost. But though He is a just and though He is an angry God, He is also a merciful God. A merciful God who personally determined to make a way of salvation for sinners. And he executed that plan of salvation not just by showing the way. And I wonder, loved ones, if we, really, if we really meditate on this enough, God did not just show the way to salvation. 
He didn't come down and point and say it's that way. No, He didn't just show the way of salvation. He became the way of salvation. And He became the way of salvation when He personally came into this world. That happened when the Son of God was born of the Virgin Mary. His name is Jesus Christ. And His life, His suffering, His obedience, His death on the cross, His resurrection, they are the sure means of salvation to sinners. And He is Himself, personally, the fullest manifestation of the goodness of God as God provides in His Son, Jesus Christ, the way for us to be at peace with Him, the way for us to be reconciled with Him. So how great is our God? Well, He is Jesus and Him crucified great. And that is precisely how great and how good He has been to us. Amen.